0: Welcome to the Seek Outside podcast. Yeah, there's
1: no question to David Lee. And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh, well, I got stalked by
0: a mountain lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a lodgepole pine. Falconry and
2: bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about.
1: You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running. Some people are just wired that way. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that. We can get to that later. I, I kinda wanna get here your backstory first right so Corey Seaman you are a skier I was doing some research sounds like you are a real estate agent is that correct
0: that is correct that's been the prep
1: yeah past recent years I'd say kind of just as a uh, side hustle okay Uh, that's kind of become more full hustle along with skiing as well okay and you were also a barefoot water skier is that correct as well yep did
0: some water sports growing up. And I think we kind of just took that to as far as we can, just a bunch of buddies in a boat and um trying to see how quick we can skim across water.
1: That's, that's awesome. Like, how do you start off barefoot water skiing? Is it just like you were, you, you know, one of your buddies had a wake boarding boat or a water skiing boat. And one of you guys was just like, Hey, I'm going to try doing this barefoot. Or is it something that you like? That's a great question.
0: Um, I guess the short, I guess the, the long short would be grew up summer in Wisconsin. Hmm. And, uh, we actually were in a water ski club show, which was like every, you know, a few nights a week there'd be, you know, there's a jump and you have like the ballet girls. And it was really neat. It was kind of one of the coolest times growing up with this, you know, ski water ski family. And there's a few older cats who are always mentors in my, in my mind. And they barefooted, they did the, you know, they hit the jump and kind of pioneered it in that sense. So we grew up, Kind of having just the visuals of it, mm. and then uh, those you know those older folks have become very close friends over the years. Um, where you know we'd be out sitting on the on the uh, the boat drinking a beer or two, and kind of it was just one of those things. He's just like, dude, you just jump off the board and you just you know hold your toes up, try not to hook a tip, and I'm gonna you know put you in a whip doing 60 miles an hour, and you're gonna hold on. And that was honestly exactly how it went down. Um typically people when they learn how to barefoot, they'll they'll have wetsuits on and they uh-huh. will hold onto the rope with you know your head facing towards the back of the lake, your feet towards the boat, and they'll kind of pull you up like a seal. And then you're riding on the uh what's it called? The the wetsuit and you can kind of just slowly plant your feet down when the boat's up to speed. Um I didn't really go that route just because you'd get a lot of water up the face. So it was more you're just in some swing trunks, you got a skim board and uh but he just pins it hooks left which at this point would be your toe side and you just or your heel side and then you just jump off and um no it was a definitely would have some eyelids wrapped around your 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 forehead a few times so there's definitely a learning (laughs) curve to it, but it worked Uh, out for sure yeah um yeah i'd I'd say getting a little bit older I, i did a little bit of that kind of the foot and skiing last summer the boat driver wasn't really going fast enough and Kind of raunch the shoulder pretty good, so it's been nursing it back. But it's it's pretty kind of funny how you get older and you're like, this is not the kindest thing on your body.
1: I would expect you probably got to yeah. go pretty fast uh, to do that, just because you don't have a lot of surf. Like with water skis, you know, you can probably go slower. I would think because there's right. less surface area. How fast do you have to drive the boat to to get going there?
0: I'd say like ideal would be about forty five. Like 45 to 50 Two. miles an hour. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, no, it sucks. It's so when you, when you fall, and sometimes the boats will be, you know, if you got a boat that is not going, you know, if you can get at least break 30 miles an hour, they can whip it. You know, they can throw it in a whip, and you take the whip to one of the outsides, and you gain a quick booster like you're hitting a star in Mario Kart. Um, but you probably, <laughs> I'd say ideal is a good 45, 50. Anything above 50 is pretty fast for my weight, but um it's pretty wild because just you know folks in that realm i mean that's what they do they did like barefoot pyramids so growing up i never thought it was that gnarly until we were doing the, the jump offs on the skimboard which is definitely a little bit heavier but uh some of those cats in the water ski show i mean they'd have you know a girl they would be a barefoot pyramid um yeah they're doing 50 you know it was really neat just kind of seeing that progression but i think more towards the west coast it was not the most heard of thing
2: yeah, I I never really heard of it until I started falling you and um I was like that's got to suck when you fall because I've I've <laughs> caught like a like a front edge on sure. a wakeboard and even though it's like just water, you know, like surface tension is not your ally and it can no, hurt just as just as bad uh, as falling on a concrete. Um yeah. Man, That's that would suck say, to I'd fall try. going to fifty miles per hour. So, right. I'd say anything above sixty
0: is like concrete for sure. So uh, yeah. Fifty or still you can break it pretty good, but once you start going like I'd say anything above eighty is really concrete, but sixty to eighty is a pretty a pretty fast gap where things can get sideways pretty quick.
1: So yes. so there's no no like shoes, nothing that you wear. Cause I'll tell you, something no. that I've something that I've heard of, right, is <clears throat> with the barefoot water skiing. From actually the meat Eater podcast is sure. like people hitting like what they say is is sunning bluegill right like fish or something on the top of the water that uh-huh. have those like super spiky uh, dorsal fins uh, but i can imagine you could hit like you know whatever like somebody's yeah. got a yeah. two by four or yeah. something
0: exactly
1: so there's no no shoes it's just straight bare feet Straight bare feet, yep. So you just kind of get up, you're in your trunks, and um,
0: pretty much just, yeah, do a double bomb out straight to your bare feet. I've always been scared about that. I think a lot more in whitefish. There's a lot more driftwood. Mm-hmm. Um, where It's definitely a thing, too, because you'll you'll go rip around, and then you'll come back to find the board, and you'll see, like, you know, an 80-foot tree. Um, like, Flathead is terrifying. There's these massive trees. Uh, they get flushed out through the Flathead River into the flathead lake and just like things are so gnarly i mean they'll just rip your transom off your boat um pretty catastrophic in the beginning of the season so it, was, it has been a little bit spookier because you can't really see that until you're there but if you go hit you know underwater tree with the top of your feet bottom of your feet it would not be wouldn't be bueno oh
2: man yeah that would that would, uh that put you in the hospital i, I would <laughs> i would just assume for sure
0: yeah. it would be but uh yeah, no. So just trying to, I guess, keep that going as long as I can for the summer activities. Um, but definitely, yeah, it's, it was a, it was a fun one. Kind of growing up, we actually got a uh, we taught a seven year old girl how to barefoot in the water ski club, which that was pretty cool. And she's like barefoot at like twenty five years, you know, twenty five miles an hour, just because she's so tiny. Um, but it's yeah, it's wild. It's kind of just a thing in the in the Midwest, I guess, that you see, and then you're just like, holy smokes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, Midwest is known for drinking a lot of beer, so I can see how that idea, you know, came about.
0: Exactly, it sounds appealing to a point.
2: That was definitely a hold my beer moment when the yeah, when the guy I mean, when someone first did that. They were like, you know what, hold on, hold oh please. yeah,
0: absolutely. Oh shit, dude, yeah. no way! Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, that's a oh, that's, that's a hold great. my beer that's moment. Cool.
1: Well, let's uh, yeah. let's transition a little bit to kind of what we're here to talk about, right? Uh, backcountry skiing, so you're in yep. Whitefish, Montana, correct? And, correct, yep, um, so Whitefish, Montana. Okay. Um, maybe just give us the rundown on how you got started skiing. Um, maybe that's just a good starting point right there. Sure,
0: no, so I guess the, the history would be, so I grew up in Colorado, um,
1: Edwards, Colorado, which we had Beaver Creek and,
0: and Vail mm-hmm. were our local mountains. Um, my dad was like an old boss skier. He was Avon Chenard's, uh, who's an old famous racer, his coach. So he kind of had this nostalgic co- co- like coaching past. that my mom was an old famous butt from Alaska, and which was the flying past. And then you know kind of put things together per se. But um, growing up in Colorado, just on ski since I was a kiddo, and would always go ski with the pops. And going through high school and whatnot, um, would call him up pretty much a number of times um in a month i'd say just to get out and uh you know kind of like a, a pow day per se uh so he'd swipe me out of school fight good grades and just kind of pursue that aspect started rolling with a, with an older crew um that were very influential and they were kind of pushing the things locally and um just kind of had an edge that i wanted to follow and um started skiing i would call it competitively I'd never really competed uh but just tried to to take a few things as big as I felt comfy with and kind of sharpened my my skill set. And um kind of then around college was uh, with a great buddy John Spriggs and he had quite a bit of opportunities as well as like he was one of the greatest and had a lot of connections at the time. Started putting those together and filmed with TGR and kind of a few other um like Epic TV and these uh pretty large production companies. Um, quite extensively and then you know that kind of led to sponsors and um, pretty much that was the start of that was about 10 years ago so I just turned 30 so I guess 12 years ago is was right around I was 18 um, but yeah that's pretty much kind of the, the short of it to where we're at now.
1: Okay and um, so you're mostly a uh, backcountry right like how would you Correct. how would you divide <laughs> your time like are are you mostly do you guys have like a local, local mountain there in Whitefish that you that you ski? We do. It- so there's a local
0: okay. there's a local mountain here um, called Big Mountain
1: or Ski, you know, Whitefish.
0: Um, but okay. I'd say divide the time up like it kind of depends. I'd say, you know, 3 years ago I probably had I don't know 30 or 40 days in a helicopter um, in Canada right before everything kind of happened over the past few years. And obviously, when you're when you're not in that stance, you're not snowmobiling. Um, there's nothing like chairlift laps. So I'd say chairlift laps are a gift. And um, I'd say there's nothing like some hot, good old chairlift laps with your buddies. Um, you know, they've got the bar at the top, the beer stew, you get some nachos. Um, but I'd say I try to spend at least eighty percent of my winter in the backcountry. Um, well, I guess possibly more at that point because. Uh, the last few years i'd say 2017 18 19 i probably had five days on the ski resort Um, but you'd pick up a day or two elsewhere in your travels Uh, but then i'd say out of the and i've never counted how many days i've skied it was never a kind of a thing that i was going for so i don't even know how many you know you call it pretty much all winter until april may um but the more majority is either snowmobile and or in a heli or you know just ski touring so it kind of just depends on who you're with friends if you're i'm fortunate enough to have an opportunity if you're on a shoot or with a kind of movie crew or um kind of whatever you know you're chasing snow as well if it gets saturated or if, i guess if it kind of just dries up spell then you're going elsewhere um but that kind of that's kind of the rundown on that one
1: okay so what what's your favorite uh what's your favorite type of backcountry skiing to do you got you know heli skiing you know riding in on a sled probably hiking do you have a preference there? Sure, sure. Um, I'd say they
0: all equally have their um, their positives. I think uh, I think each and every one, obviously, like rip and lapse in a bird um, is one of the greatest feelings. Uh, but at the same time, sled skiing, there's a lot more dedication, a lot more things that can go wrong. Um, your team that you're out with is definitely, you know, it's a family. So there's there's that aspect of it. It's just kind of more of a... Um, I don't know. It's, it's just got a different feel, different stance to it. And then, you know, obviously just skis touring, even right off the back side of the resort or you go to these, these, some other resorts and they've got the side country or straight out of the car somewhere. I mean, they each have their their kind of obstacles and objectives and, you know, the family aspect, team aspect that's there. But I, yeah. I don't know if I could pick one, to be honest. Um, they're all, you know, they all have their own connections that are... I'm not sad if I'm doing any one. You, you know, obviously, it's fun to go in a bird, but at the same time you know when you earn it it's it's pretty it's just you know you're grateful it's a whole different experience i guess in the mountains per se one of them's super quiet pure one of them's just loud and awesome and just raw and the other one is just loud awesome and just yeah. you get super tired
1: crunching snow all day
0: which is as funny as it as as it yeah. you know as it sounds.
1: Um, yeah. So basically,
2: Corey, like I, I assume that you you know are all up to date on all of your avi courses. You know what to look for when you're in the heli or in in your own bird, um, or even on a snowmobile. You know what to look for. You know, you know in terms of like weather that has just fallen. Like we got six inches over the night. That grade is too steep. What you know, whatever the case may be. So maybe, you know, kind of, you know, I- explain that a little bit and, and what that process is like. Absolutely. Getting to that level. And
0: sure. No, and absolutely. Right. Where it's like, I've definitely, you know, I've, I think I've been involved in the backcountry since I was 15. So about 15 years, um, definitely have seen avalanches, been in, you know, fully buried myself and lost a lot of friends to avalanches. Um, Took the Avi One course and, you know, extended courses as well and worked with BCA for the last, I'd say, 10 years now. Um, So I definitely have a great grasp of it. Um, But when you're actually going on these different trips, especially in the helis, you know, I'm fully reliant on the guides. The local guides that are boots on the ground, you know, they are the most amazing, in my opinion, you know, guides that I've ever had the privilege to work with. You've got Kapow guide. Uh, guiding out of Revelstoke, and then uh, obviously with CMH, which is more heli skiing. Um, but just their team—you know—they're some of the most smartest, raddest mountain individuals um, that have you know hiked every peak on the tallest peaks on the the Seven Summits. I mean, they've they've just got some of the most badass alpinists. And so their profession is guiding, and you know when you're on these these trips, um, we're I'm fully reliant on the guides. Um, I can do some tail guiding and just kind of depends on the objective and whatnot, but um, really put my trust in them. They know the area, the snowpack, because when you are going all these different areas, um, the snowpack is so different. Like even, you know, whitefish, you could leave for two weeks, come back, it changed and you could ski something you thought was safe two weeks ago, but whole different um, mountain characteristics, waves, you know, everything came in and just completely changed um, boots on the ground where it's always great wherever you're going to chat with a local or you have somebody set up or a buddy and you're just like, you know, what's been going on here the last few weeks? Like, what are we looking for? Um, just cause it's impossible just to go to a new spot and read it. So when you're out sledding, you know, I'd say heli-skiing respectfully it's a lot easier because you've got the world's best guides. They're the boss. It's their ship. You know, they know what you want to do, but you know, bottom line is like they make the call and you put their your faith in them um, and full trust and they'll let you walk out of their comfort zone a little bit and it just is kind of how you know them but when you're when you're sledding um, you know you're out there with the boys per se everyone just drove halfway across the country you're looking at the avi forecasts you know I, I fully support any local avi foundation that does their best and they've got great folks and sometimes it's volunteers it's professionals um, and they go out and pretty much check the local area, write their reports, and they're really saving lives um, as well as just the knowledge. So you can go to any new spot and it's kind of just like doing your homework for a class, right? It's like you're calling buddies, you're looking at the average report, you can look at the weather just in general and just see kind of what's been going on, different freezing lines, and then make your assessment when you get out in the field and start playing on little slopes. Like you never just go to these huge monstrous ones. Sometimes you do, but I'd say... of the time, you you know, first days, you're just seeing what's going on because once you start stepping on stuff that you don't know what's under, you know, it can go south so quick that it's...
1: Just real quick, AVI meaning avalanche for those who don't, who aren't into the ski culture.
2: What are some of those uh, organizations that you were talking about, like that you can go and like look at those boots on the ground reports? What is, what are those organizations?
0: So like Colorado avalanche um, forecast, I think it's CAIC. CAIC is kind of one of the the greatest for Colorado. I want to say it's CAIC, it's Colorado, maybe mountain informational. I think I'm butchering that one, but I believe it's CAIC. But pretty much you can just look at Google, uh, you know, Colorado, this mountain range, this area, um, avalanche forecast, and they've got their own professionals out in the fields for that district. Montana, you've got Flathead Avalanche. You've got the Cook City. Um, even on Instagram nowadays, there's a lot of great channels that these platforms have developed. Where in your local area, you can see things you know over social media, which is great because obviously it'll prompt you even more. You know, if you see it that morning, you're like, oh, you know, it's a good idea to check because even if you get a few inches out there, things can change pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but I, the best way is just to look up kind of your local. You just type it in Wyoming Avalanche Center. You know jackson hole or jackson hole area and um they're pretty much they're pretty easy to find yeah um, and they do just they do an amazing job i mean point blank they're they're true professionals and um giving you the lowdown that you need
2: real quick yeah, that is yeah, caic ahead. you you're right for those listening if you if you want to look that up here in colorado at least it is called
1: the caic so you can you can use utilize that go yeah, ahead ryan that, that's good information for anybody heading out into the back don't want to head out in, unprepared, um, Corey. You survived an avalanche, correct? You want to break us break that story down?
0: Yeah, that was. So I was I was 18 years old. Uh, was you know pretty vicious on the sticks, just trying to get after it, and didn't really know a ton as well. Like I'll be very blame. Was very, you know, I'd been skiing the backcountry probably you know for three or four years, and just didn't know what I didn't know was was fortunate where i had some mentors that when i when i was with them they were great teachers but at the same time you're still trying to apply that when you're 17 18 years old and obviously you push it and and whatever uh you know in those disciplines i guess i can say and yeah i was was outside uh was pretty much it's kind of a legendary spot called eastvale out of vale there's mushroom bowl and eastvale and eastvale is, is notoriously known for killing a ton of skiers over the last 20 years i mean it's the the ratio that it's taken out has been quite staggering. Um, So this was a long time ago and pretty much was back there with a few buddies and um, skied a line, skied this cliff and actually double ejected off the cliff or had, you know, landed and double ejected stood up to get my skis and just everything around me, you know, four foot crown probably by a hundred feet wide, just ripped 800 feet through trees. Um, Super quick. You know, just, it was, it was definitely I didn't picture avalanches that way growing up. I was up there, this just like fluffy power storm for whatever reason, right? You see all these movies and, you know, you're just a kid that hasn't really experienced it. Um, but it was the most vicious thing I think to date I will ever encounter. Um, and it was, yeah, I was buried under the snow for for good, I don't know, 15 minutes, about four feet down. Um, kind of in this upside down banana where my head was about a foot under the snow. Um, and long story short, the buddy's just came to find me. Um, quite some time after that, I'd say it was a good fifteen minutes. But uh, definitely was a, a very horrifying. You know, when you when you lose a buddy in an avalanche today, and you can kind of recollect on that, it's it's pretty traumatic. Just uh, you know, from asphyxiation. Obviously, most avalanches, um, there's a good sixty to eighty percent that you're going to hit a tree, rock, go off a cliff. Um, pretty much, you're at at the avalanche's disposal and. Um. Yeah. No. It's it's definitely a a very heavy, heavy thing to have happen.
1: Well. Yeah. Man. I mean, like, like what did you think when you were under there? Were you? Because obviously you're you're kind of caught up in this pocket of of air, right? And you're probably just slowly losing oxygen for every breath. Like, what did you feel down there?
0: It was. Yeah. That's a great question. Um. It wasn't anything warm and fuzzy. You know. I, I would. I got pretty caught up on some, like, the negative things that I'd done in life. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. high school, you make fun of kids, you're, you know, dodgeball, whatnot, you're just, you know, just kind of being a kid, Um, but obviously, um, just, it wasn't, like, the great things that I'd done in life, you know, I wasn't going out, like, wow, I had to give a good run, It it was pretty devastating, just on, like, you could be a better person in general, you know, just, enjoy the every day, right? right? Everyone kind of takes things for granted. And it just, I'd say it put life into pr- the uttermost perspective from my view and definitely changed my outlook after that experience, you know, cleaned up um, just in kind of every way, shape or form, really gave every day kind of the best attitude and um, really effort that I could uh, just because I think it was more of a realization of how, sh- how just – fragile your life is but as well as somebody else's you know i mean I had lost friends and family prior to that and it's kind of um when it's actually first perspective it, it changes the whole ball game around um but that was yeah that was kind of how that one went down per se so you thought you were gonna die huh oh yeah for sure no that was that's yeah i mean I'd, I'd say after you know you're hopeful for a good seven eight minutes and then uh Yeah, once kind of time starts chugging. And you could see, you know, like for – I was lucky where my head wasn't – if you're four, six, seven, three feet under, I mean, it's – like you can just just pitch black would be – I luckily had a little bit of light. Like you could – you kind of tell you're somewhat close to the top, but for – I can't even imagine if it was just like pitch black. That would be kind of one of – and not saying that mine was any greater, right? You're still fully buried. You can't move anything, right? I mean, even – um yeah, it's 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 cement 100%. Really? one hundred percent. You fully have to get dug out. There's no way
2: you know, did back and
0: out of that one in any way, shape, or form.
2: Did you try did you try to move your arms and legs? Oh, you, what? you you can't. You just you can't. There's
0: um I'd say like anything even below like six inches, you it's so from what I had learned over the past years, like avalanches, they create friction, right? So when something breaks um, there's an internal friction from all the snow um, kind of pretty much running around mm. with each other where it, it gets warm, where then when it settles, it's just straight concrete. Just, oh, yeah. man, uh, that's crazy. I mean,
1: wild. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, you'd think, like, like just from from my perspective, right, not having ever been exposed to avalanche, but, you know, you put your foot two feet d- deep down in snow, you can still move your – you know you could still move your foot but that makes sense that that the friction creates this heat and then because i mean two feet down in in powdery snow is fine right but once you get that thick like just water snow yeah it's a whole different ball game
2: it basically just freezes around you is is what i'm assuming
0: pretty much what happens, right? Like imagine, you know, you all see those snowbanks, right? Where you got a, um, a plow truck and they just create these massive snowbanks, or even small ones, but how hard that gets, um, mm-hmm. pretty much that's, that's what it is to a T. Um, um, so it's, you know, after that definitely took avalanches way more seriously. And it was actually kind of a, an ironic story where, um, a month before that avalanche, I was actually, we were out in the backcountry and. Another buddy that I was with, there's three of us. He got fully buried, shattered tib fib, had to get a helicopter in, um, almost lost his leg. We were on private property, so um, you know we were on Good Morning America. It was pretty. It was pretty wild. Just like three kids getting an avalanche. Um, It was a uh, that one was surreal, right? So was that was on Halloween, October, and then one month later, exactly the day before court before. Um, the prior avalanche on the private property because that company took us to court just to make an example out of us because it was a big backcountry skiing area and they had reinvested in the mine. It's behind copper, kind of the, the coal fat, or Colmax um, operators back there. So they wanted to make an example of us and take us to court and pretty much you know press us with, you know it's a pretty, obviously trespassing in Colorado is no joke, especially to that extent. Um, and then the day before that is when I got in this one. So it was, it was a pretty kind of wild month and a half, I'd say. But, uh, that was a, uh, yeah, pretty heavy early season where, um, learned a lot. I was fortunate enough to learn, you know, have the opportunity to walk away from those and kind of change my perspective, learn everything I can and, you know, help spread whatever knowledge, um, one can as well and just keep the stoke alive.
1: And that coal company was probably like, damn, like these boys don't have any quit in them. <laughs> yeah, no, they uh, I
0: don't think they even knew that I was in the, the one prior to the, the day before the court um, courtroom in mm. Frisco. But yeah, just lots of uh, lots of learning going on, I can say.
2: Yeah, I think that's great, dude, that that you can, you know, admit to that it's the only way to do it. <laughs> you can say, you know, yeah, I had some I had some I had some learning to do and i yeah i that's great. I appreciate
0: it. it's just kind of growing up too right you just you can realize you're at fault and you're directly at fault from those type of things
1: oh totally totally um did you when you got stuck did you have a beacon or uh an airbag right it wasn't leading
0: into that one um no we didn't we were you know it was, it was more pronounced i guess it's another great lesson ah. right so yeah, we didn't have anything. Um, we did not have anything on us. We were skiing, you know, the back bowls, and I'd say Mushroom Bowl where this happened um, is was more known for a side country than the back country. And then if you go wrap up and around, then you, you, you could do Mushroom to Eastville as well. Just when you're young and you're you know 17, 18, and you're just figuring it out, um, we were just kind of winging it per se. So definitely lots of learning, you know that. What my buddy says, you pretty much hear me crying under the snow, which is kind of how that one went down. Um, But, yeah, no, that was, you know, huge learning. And even now, right, like um, even here in Whitefish, we've got some side country that even like today I still go out there either for a quick solo lap or you don't have your beacon and you're going to keep it super tight to the trees. And, you know, there's always a sense of complacency that follows anyone. Um, as once you know, it's it's you really got to be diligent on like you know what I'm not going to go with anyone that I don't know know their equipment. That's the other thing too. You know, I had a buddy in Crested Butte um, a while back. Uh, he, it was a pretty small slide, and he pa- unfortunately passed away. And from what I recall, they you know they did their beacon checks, great. You know, it was an awesome team. Um, they all knew what they were doing. And when they did their beacon checks, um, I think he left his his batteries in his beacon for the summer, so they corroded. So it was a it was a very weak signal. So when you do your beacon check, uh, cool, you know, we're good to go. You go out, and you know the leads were so corroded that I think anything you know past a certain distance or whatnot, or maybe when it was turned on, it started you know shorting itself out or whatnot. But um, it was it was a weak enough. It was you know the signal was too weak for them to find him. Um, so there's just so many different you know, ways to look at it um, where you just really want to kind of cover all your bases per se.
2: Jeez. That takes, that takes like gear (coughs) maintenance to a whole nother level, you know? To a point, Um, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, but no, I'm saying like when you know that that could potentially save your life, I'd be checking every battery. I'd be, I'd be, you know, taking the batteries out and putting new ones in. Like I'm not using I'm not using off-brand. I'm using the best Duracells I could get. I don't care. Um, yeah, that's crazy, man. And you do definitely
0: want to take care of your equipment in that regard. I mean, even you know I'll forget and then with your summer, I'll pull them out. And, um, yeah. So it's you it just you gotta you kind of just gotta if that's what you're doing, just be you show up every day like you know you're there with you know you're not complacent you, you thought things through and you just got to do the best you can yeah. Um, and just really kind of go through your own checklist per se
1: what's your um so say you're going on a backcountry you know four-day trip with with sleds right sure um what, what's aside from the obvious stuff you know snowboard freaking beacons all that good stuff what are what are some of the main pieces of gear that you bring with you yeah, I think snowmobiling, the most important gear piece that one can bring that gets
0: overlooked a lot is a, uh, a saw. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you're going to have your beacon and your backcountry equipment, but um, I think a saw snowmobiling is probably one of the most important pieces of equipment. Just because you in always, case you have a tree down. No, not your... necessarily. Like where you're going, you're going out on roads, and then you start boondocking from there. So it's, it's full-blown okay. backcountry sledding. Um, you really, you know, use the the forest service roads for maybe 30 minutes, uh, respectfully kind of wherever you're at. And then, then you just, you're breaking off into no man's land, creating your own trail, but you just, the amount of trees that you get wrapped up in, um, your skis per se, even learning, or if you're, you know, one of the world's best, it's like, especially if you're, if you're good, you're pushing it through kind of snipey fun terrain. You get stuck, you got to roll it over, then you're in a tree well and, um, but I'd say like a, a good saw, not like one of those wimpy, not like an avalanche saw, like you want a full blown, you know, I, I carry a saw when it's extended, it's three and a half feet. The blade's about probably 18 inches. Uh, and you, you want to, you know, plan for taking a, a quarter tree down or I guess not a quarter tree, but a uh, I'd say like a good, I don't know, up to like a 15 inch tree, anything else you're going to try to figure something else out and weasel it around. But, um, yeah, and then you got everything else, right? Your typical equipment, beacon, um, backpack, shovel, extra goggles, extra uh, mittens. Per se is, is another big one. Um, but you just you really want to prepare. You know, for myself, you know, I always have a first aid kit with me, um, as well as like an overnight kit. Um, especially when you're sledding, you know, other people break down, you break down, somebody gets hurt, you know, you get caught up in a snowstorm, and you have one of those things happen, which is honestly quite frequent. Um, and with the newer technology and sleds, right. Or, you know, I guess when you get older and you can kind of afford a newer sled, um, I had quite a bit of janky sleds. You know, I think I was like, you know, ever since 18 through now, probably had eight sleds and I'd say six of them were just, you looked at them and they broke, right? So you're just unreliable. And that was just part of the game. You know, you couldn't afford a new sled. and So you really just, you also want to prep for staying out in the field per se. Mm-hmm. um you know have some heat blankets you always want a lighter I was you know some fire starter and kind of the rest is your imagination with what you, if you want to sleep in a snow cave you know it's pretty much just make sure that if something goes sideways you're like cool I'd actually plan for this and it's not as shitty as it is if I didn't have a lighter
1: <laughs> right yeah. yeah have you noticed uh like in I feel like across all outdoor activities there's been an uptick in people right Absolutely. Um, so like hiking. Have you noticed that in like the backcountry skiing world? Absolutely. Um, and for me, you know, it's it's like rightfully so, right? Like I'm not biased towards
0: like, you know you, you know, you guys should stick with what you're doing before. It's like I got introduced to it. I loved it where anyone that, you know, is seeking that adventure in the mountains, um, like I fully support it. For me, I'm not one that's like, you know, now it's crowded. It's The mountains are so vast and the accessibility is so good with snowmobiles that you really shouldn't. You shouldn't have a problem seeing people, or just going to escape and you seeing no one. Um, but I would say, especially with COVID, pushing people outdoors, um, yeah, there's a huge influx, uh, which is great. You know, it'll hopefully produce more funding for the local avalanche centers, right? Because it's it's a busier kind of network, more demand for it. Um, it's great to see these kind of smaller backcountry companies growing because they've got more, you know, products to sell and more consumers. Um, and it's just, it, you're, it just as extending the safety network. I'd say, obviously there's, there's cons that come with it where you have people that don't respect the safety and they don't do the Abbey, you know, one, two, three, kind of whatever suits their needs and they can be a little bit sloppy. But once again, I was there. Um, and I was the, you know, the dumbass that was buried under four feet of snow with no beacon. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm very quiet, but I, I try to just help people new or advanced, whatever it is, you know, just have the conversation of like, okay, like, what do you got going on today? Like, where are you going? You know, what are you doing? Um, you know, you guys have your equipment and cause you can, you know, it's like, I've forgotten to put my beacon on, right. Or, um, or ha- yeah, I turned it on. You've been out there. It's like, once you're out there for so many days in you know, a winter, like, you can only do the best you can, but like maybe one morning you're hungover, Right. As you know, unethical as that is. Right. And you go out and you're like, you like, know, I, you forgot to turn your beacon on. You had it. So when you see other people, it's like, Hey guys, like what radio channel you're on just so you're not skiing over us. I'm not skiing over you. You know, if you're on the same skin track and at the top, I'm going to check somebody else's beacon just cause I would, it's pretty cool if somebody did it to me. And when somebody randomly does do that, I'm like, sick dude. Like, I really appreciate that. Um, Cause I thought I got it at the truck, but here I am in the middle of nowhere and my beacon was off. Right. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot more people out there and good for them and as long as you keep it safe and, um, just, just kind of have the right vibes out there. It's pretty great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Actually, Ryan and I, uh, were, uh, we were just duck hunting and, uh, I Ooh. was at, I was at a, I was at the, the parking spot it was just me i was about ready to go out to uh start building a blind early in the morning it was like i think at that point it was four o'clock in the morning um and uh some guy st- you know pulls in and i'm like all right that's kind of weird he has like a trailer on his truck so i'm thinking he's like no it's not ryan it's ryan's supposed to meet me ryan's supposed to meet me there and, uh, this guy, I slept in, so. And <laughs> this guy pulls up, and he's like, hey, are you hunting this? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to walk in, and I'm going to hunt this marsh. And he's like, man, do you mind if I just join you? Like, I hate to be weird and ask. And I was like, no. I was like, absolutely. I'd rather have you come hang out with us than, like, maybe sit 200 feet away from us and, and shoot at random birds that we're trying to get to come into our spread, you know? And so I think it's great i think it's great to see like like you said like guys checking in on you or you checking in on other guys and gals at the at the trailhead um you know like that guy just very just i mean it was very open and 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 you know just totally wasn't mad wasn't angry wasn't wanting to steal it from me or anything you know it was more of just like a we all rise with the with the tide type of deal and i think that's I think that's how it should be um you know i get kind of bummed when i see if i go into a spot and i'm like man there's so many people here but like at the same time like you said um i was that guy at one point right and you can't forget that
0: i think a lot of people do forget it and it's something that i i have forgotten it at some points and you kind of just slap yourself like dude like you know they're getting after it. that new experience to them is so cool
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah
0: and then bottom line is you know if something happens and you get hurt break a leg avalanche whatever it is is like you've got more people that are going to help so you're you really are a team um and obviously you want to do your own thing you don't want to in people's tracks you don't want to be by people but at the bottom of the day i mean that's really what it comes down to is more support in the backcountry if you need it and exactly. if they need it
1: well i feel like The the ski culture and like snowboard just mountain culture in general is so freaking inviting, man. Like I I have a specific instance when I when I was a kid growing up, uh, we used to ski Steamboat a lot because we had a cabin up there, and I was I was like the young like you know ten year old looking up at all the park guys, you know, and I was like, dude, I just I want to be like that. But the rest of my family, you know, they wanted to hit the back bowls and stuff, so. Usually at lunch I would, I would head over and uh, you know hit up the terrain park and you know try to work on my grabs and stuff like that. But I remember specifically one day there was a guy uh, that was I mean he was probably like 15 or 16 man and he was just you know just this badass dude that was just chucking you know fucking 720s and stuff stuff that I had no no like concept of how to do and I still am no, nowhere even close to that but anyway he I was I was just all by myself and he he picks me up at the at the bottom of the lift and he's like hey man like you know you, you riding with anybody and I was like no and he just took me for the whole rest of the day and was just like showing me basic stuff and I feel like I've I've seen that a lot with the ski culture and it's just I mean, I guess at the at the end of the day and where that comes from is probably because how could you be stressed out when you're <laughs> when you're doing what you're doing? So I, I, I love I love skiing. It, it's such a good culture. And there's always like, you know, at the bottom of, of, you know, the bar at the bottom of the mountain. It's always such a party. Um, and even like up here, uh, you know, there's some backcountry backcountry skiing that people do up on the Mesa. Um, I say that with con- quotation marks because it's just like it, it's an old ski resort. It's old Powderhorn is what they call it. And but at the bottom, every single time you go up there, there's people with grills out and, uh, you know, drinking, sharing beers and stuff. So, I, you know, for for, I guess, on the podcast here, I want to say if you just moved to Colorado and you want to, you know, join a culture. Look at that! I mean, it's 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 a pretty awesome culture. So I couldn't agree yeah. more. Well said. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so so Corey, uh, we don't want to take too much more of your time up here. Oh, no nice. um, But along those lines, I do have one more question for you. Sure. So I do have one more question for you. Um, somebody who is looking to make the jump from you know mountain skiing uh to more of a backcountry ski style what would what would your recommendation be what would what would the ideal first trip in the backcountry look like to you
0: um well so i obviously like going through the training is just like the biggest and like that's really the only way to start is to go look at these organizations look up avalanche courses look up you know avalanche videos at home anything you can do to learn because that is like um, it'd be great if you if you took a woofer. This is kind of just like I wouldn't call them pre-rex, but good things to have. Um, some sort of you know because you it's just a matter of time before something happens back there. Whether you know you hook a tip under a log and shed your tib fib and, and you're bleeding. You know it's just you just want to know some really basic um, kind of emergency body survival techniques per se or care. And then obviously avalanches is, is number one. And then uh, the other thing would be finding just a great crew to go with, like a local person that knows the area. Um, You know, when you just go to the, when you're on Google Earth and you're just looking for new zones, they're intimidating to a point just because you don't know what's there. Uh, But that's also what pushes you to them, right? Because it's like, sick. You know, we've never been here. Not too many people have, or maybe people have never been here. Um, But when you're just getting into it, if if you really want to go with people that know the area, know how long you're going to be out for, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, what's the, what's the day going to look like Impact for the day. I've gone out with people where I thought it was just going to be a quick, like, you know, morning rip. And we come out at six at night and they've, you know, I didn't, I wasn't too clear. I thought it, thought it was something that it wasn't. Um, so just knowing what your day is going to look like, right? If you're going out for a full day, you plan for it, you got breakfast, lunch, snacks, dinner. Um, you just, you really just want to know what you're getting into know your team, know your equipment and just plan for an overnight. It's pretty much um, kind of in any case, depending on where you're going, side country, side country where typically they can get you out of there. But uh, when you're truly back there, I mean, it's, it's something happens when you get hurt. You're there yeah. till somebody gets you.
2: Yeah. It sounds like it's, I mean, and rightfully so <clears throat> mostly about safety, you know, and less about, and I, and I think that's kind of what separates I mean, the gear is involved, sure, especially with, like, beacons beacons and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it's mostly about your knowledge in the sport and the safety of that sport, you know, and, and your safety within that sport, um, which I think which is the separating factor between people who, you know, stick to the resorts, which is great, cool, you know, and if that's what you love to do, be there and do that thing always. Um, but you know, is that it's just that separating factor where people don't make that jump, and they're maybe they're too afraid to. Um, I think it's a little more accessible nowadays. With I think there's a lot of AV classes that get taught, um, and they're probably even less expensive than they were back in the day, um, just due due to popular demand. Um, but yeah, it just sounds like it's mostly about safety. And and I think rightfully so, because being buried under four feet of frozen, (laughs) you know, frozen concrete just doesn't sound terrific. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your day goes from freaking awesome Uh, and, you know, just the best feeling ever to just terrible (laughs) instantly. That's
0: horrible. The worst. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And it's, and, I'd say like knowing your boundaries as well, right? Like how you ski on the resort is not how you're going to ski in the backcountry totally. because you know if it's not like you're going to. Yeah, so it kind of just depends. You don't want to go out ski your skill set and then get hurt, and then your buddy is just like,
1: dude, why did not you do that? We're like leaving right now, and you just broke your wrist. Yeah,
2: yeah, but yeah.
1: It's like fuck. Do you have any? Uh, uh, do you have any cool trips coming up this winter?
0: Uh, So right now, the plans are, you know, with CMH in Canada, which would be some heli skiing, and then uh, hopefully make it up to the Blanket Glacier Chalet, which is probably one of the greatest backcountry ski touring. You take a heli in, you're at a hut, and then you're there for about four or five days heli out. They've got the world, you know, they both have got world-class guides, and it's just they're both world-class experiences. One of them's straight heli skiing, one of them's you're there for the... The love of skiing to the regard that you're just skinning up all these peaks with these awesome guys. There's a full chef. Um, probably, you know, two of the greatest experiences. And then just kind of ripping around, maybe make it to Colorado. Um, hopefully Cook City, you know, that's a that's mm-hmm. a great halfway point. Being so far up here in Whitefish to the Northlands, um, it's hard to get south. You know, it's I think to get to Colorado, like Vale area would be i think a good 20 hours yeah maybe that that's in a winter time drive that
2: sounds right um, um bozeman to junction is like 12, 12 11 hours or something like right. that yeah
0: yeah well, we're like six hours north exactly of yeah And then you yeah you got winter with a snowmobile it gets it, it's it's kind of hard to get down there yeah
1: well and the snow's snow's pretty uh pretty rough this year so far i mean i was just driving through vale. It's Oh, i'm sorry to hear that did what did they just get a storm or they no just did yeah they did but uh i was driving back and it was freaking windy as hell so and i Ooh. yeah so that's never good for snow conditions no not at all yeah um have you have you noticed like over the past 10 years just with like not to bring up global warming but i'll bring it up have you noticed like lower snow levels has it been right, kind of up your, and down?
0: Your, your freezing line? So that's a great question. So being being in Montana the last, let's say, 10 years, you know, I bounced around in Montana, went to Boa, been didn't really notice too much there. Um, and then in whitefish, I travel quite a bit where it's hard to get consistency. So I actually relay that to a lot of locals, right, that are from here. I'm like, hey, you know, it's 40 degrees out in December in the town, like, is this normal? So, you know, I can't, I, for sure for me, you know, going to the blanket and all these other, um, trips and locations and whatnot, seeing the glaciers recede, like hundred percent, obviously something's happened. Um, it's, it's definitely, I think everyone has a similar opinion on that where it, it is, there are warmer trends and when you do see these massive mountains deteriorate, um, every year more and more like here in Glacier National Park. Um, I think, you know, if we're lucky enough to have, you know, full glaciers here in 20 years, it'll be, you know, insane right where they're definitely not going to be around longer so things in that regard are definitely changing in the mountains um but locally you know i kind of just go off buddies that have been here and you know they definitely all you know even today we were skiing they alluded to the fact that it was raining in town which means it's above you know really kind of 32 33 degrees uh, but i'm sure in town it was 40 and it was raining and then it was nuking at the top of the mountain um but they thought it was pretty abnormal you know they don't really they've never really seen that in their 30 years living here um so it's just definitely such a complex that's a whole complex um just side of life with the global warming and how do we deal sure. with that And such a uh, yeah. such a a black hole of infinite possibilities just in so many different ways
1: yeah man well thank you so much for for jumping on here definitely appreciate it and Um, absolutely good luck in in all your adventures this year and make sure your beacons on and uh we'd love to right and let us know if you're down here no absolutely
0: Cool. I appreciate that. I think Lee's got the most, the biggest adventure. Ball happened hatching a, a pop, and having oh, a yeah. kid.
1: <laughs> yeah, cool. talk about an avalanche. Probably just yeah. as
2: scary as an avalanche, like <laughs> that. <but>, um... <laughs> Ray, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, so, uh,
0: so I'll be, I'll be looking at you for some wisdom here coming yeah, down the road. Uh, yeah, uh, but no, I, I absolutely. No, it's been a pleasure, and definitely, yeah, I would love to get together kind of in person here, hopefully the next year or so.
1: Yeah, man.